Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. So happy you are here. My goal with this channel is to bring inspirational speakers to the mic in the field of yoga, massage, body work, and beyond. Follow us at Native Yoga and check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. All right, let's begin. Welcome to this week's edition of Native Yoga Toddcast. I have the pleasure of bringing Parveen Nair to the show today here for you. Parveen is a long-term yoga teacher, practitioner who lives in Rishikesh, India. And please go check him out on his Instagram page, which is at Inborn Movements, at Inborn Movements. And he does an amazing job of creating yoga practice routines that involve pranayama and asana, which are completely creatively uh, inspired by his many years of practicing in the world of dance and in yoga. He offers teacher trainings and programs in Rishikesh. I really want to go visit him. I love this conversation. I'm so thankful for this opportunity to have a the chance to speak with Parveen Nair. And remember, if you want to support us in the show here, if you go down to the show notes, you'll see the option to become either a monthly membership where anywhere between like three and ten dollars you can donate. And then also we have our free Grow Your Yoga Live webinar every Thursday at 12 p.m. So you can click on a link there and I'll remind you via email. Also, we have a new student free live stream yoga special where you can try two weeks of live stream classes with us here. And then all of those classes are recorded and I upload them onto our Native Yoga online platform in which I have a code there for you. You can try a whole month for free on there with the all caps first month free code. So all those links are down below. And remember, please check out Parveen on Instagram, his handle at Inborn Movements. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Let's begin. I'm honored to have the opportunity to bring Parveen Nair here onto the podcast today. And Parveen, how are you feeling? I'm feeling very well, thank you. So happy to be a part of this podcast. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much for accepting. And are you currently in Rishikesh, India? At present, yes, I'm in Rishikesh, India. Have you, how long have you been in Rishikesh? Are you born there or did you move there? Mm -hmm. I was born and raised in Malaysia. I moved to Rishikesh in 2013. And since then, I've been living uh, for short periods here. Uh, Previously, before 2013, I was visiting Rishikesh for a month, um, a little bit more than that. In 2013, I sort of wrapped up my um, business, my teachings um, in Malaysia and moved to Rishikesh. At, it, at that time, it felt that's, that was the right thing to do. And since then, I've been living here um, and I also travel. I go back home. I have my mother in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. I go back home for a month or a little bit more than a month. And then I come back and I travel to Europe. So it's been 
like that, a little nomadic life. Yeah, yes. Otherwise, I can call Rishikesh home. Nice. I have not been able to visit Rishikesh, but it, I really would love to. It looks amazing. It is. It is. <laughs> the, river, uh, the Himalayas, um, the early mornings are very special in Rishikesh, but I will not um, tell you all these secrets. So I will keep it for you when you come. <laughs> I will take you when you go. Thank all you. All these special places we can explore uh, how it empowers our practice of yoga. Let's see. Oh man, that sounds wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. When did you start to practice yoga? Did you come across yoga when you were living in Malaysia growing up or did you first encounter it in India? <clears throat> so um, when we use the word yoga here, in most um, traditional Indian families, um, that terminology yoga is already introduced. It's a household word. So I come from a family which we do a lot of uh, kirtan, bhajan and kirtan, both my mother and father. They were spiritually inclined. They had their gurus. <clears throat> and we would have uh, kirtans every day, but especially on every Thursdays, um, we would have a, a group of people gathering at home. And uh, when I say groupments, we can easily say about 200 to 150 people coming wow. home wow. and having kirtan. So the impact of that, as a small child I was, with I have three siblings, my three sisters, I'm the youngest. The impact of that uh, probably has touched that, um, had created an impression in this mind. Yes. And I grew in that environment until I left for college and went to the city and all. So it has been that, that inclination of divinity, um, the higher self has always been there. Nice. Um, answering your question, in the new format of yoga, as in the asana practice and pranayama practice, it was introduced, me, introduced to me by an, a dancer, um, an Italian friend of mine, she introduced me in 99, if I'm not mistaken, or 2000. In this period, she had introduced me. I was in that time in India, south of India, Chennai. She took me to um, an ashram in Kerala called Shivananda Ashram in Nagar Dam. And there I began my yoga journey. Wonderful. As in the asana practice. Yeah. Yes. Yes, was that under a particular, you said it was a Shivananda ashram? Yes, it is the Shivananda ashram. At that time, it was led by Swami Mahadevananda, who's not in his body anymore now. Um, so they have, uh, it is very a holistic format of practicing yoga, where you have the chanting, some meditation, the study of the Vedic scriptures, asana practice, pranayama, and sattvic uh, meals are given to the students so you're living in an ashram environment i feel it is very holistic nice. uh, place to begin your yogic practices amazing when when you would have the family kirtan sessions growing up was there a particular mantra or kirtan or deity that you would honor your family would honor or was it every session you guys would pick different songs to sing 
it was uh, it is spontaneous. What mm. I remember, it is spontaneous. My mother and father would sing, and of course, other devotees, older devotees who came to the house. Yeah, they all sing, but mostly glorifying the guru, mm. the teacher, the guru. Uh, it was uh, the whole. It is non-dual practice, and uh, they were uh, devout uh, devotees of Satya Sai Baba in Kutaparthi, and. Uh, so most of the bhajans were dedicated to the guru and various other deities and the bhajans were taught to us by listening so there were no special class for the children it's not only our, in our family other children would also gather from the families that would come by listening and listening the parents would say like okay now you lead a kirtan so it would feel uh, very special yeah. to lead a kirtan nice uh, nice I, I still now you're saying yeah, so many <laughs> memories are coming to my mind. Even to play the symbols, we would make some some mistake and all, but uh, something was uh, very divine. It's all I, I mean. I, there are, that sounds so amazing. Coming to mind, it was very divine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do you still maintain a kirtan practice? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, I gather people in my house once in a week or uh, in the teacher's training that I do, every day we have Kirtan daily. Nice. So I think an contribution that was given to me by my parents, it's something that is, uh, that I'm giving back to society. Yeah. That's, that's amazing, Parveen. Do, do you lead with playing on a harmonium or what is your favorite musical accompaniment? I play the murdanga. Mm. Ah, play nice. the murdanga, play the cymbals. Nice. I can hold chords in the harmonium. Uh-huh. Um, if I'm singing a very simple bhajan, I can hold certain chords. Uh, but to to follow someone who's singing, according to uh, the notations, that would be a challenge for me. Uh, but I, I feel very relaxed in the murdanga. Yeah, that was taught to me by my parents. Yeah. Nice, nice. When you, mm-hmm. when you yeah. encountered asana practice at the Shivananda Ashram in South India, can you relate what your thoughts or feelings were at the time? I think one is important part why I went there was because I was asthmatic at that time and I was learning Indian classical dance. And my endurance level was very low. I would have to stop uh, dancing, short period, stop, then get my breath back again. So this Italian friend of mine, Haru Kuo, her name is, um, she said, look, I'm going to, to, I've been practicing yoga and it feels very good. Let me introduce to you. And she introduced the practices to me and it felt very nice. Although I've seen pictures of the asanas, but it was not a part of the vocabulary of spiritual practices that we had at home. Uh, I started doing it. It felt good. I went to the ashram. That feeling. I started taking deeper breath. I felt the breath going into various parts of my lung. I felt fresh. Um, I just, you know, that is just a right a new feeling that you have. Yes. And then I started, because I was using the inhaler at that time, 
And I think in around less than a year, I gave up the inhaler wow. and that felt, wow, I don't, yeah. I don't need these inhalers anymore. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, that was a, a transition. I said, oh, this is something that I'm doing right and it feels good. Yeah. <laughs> nice. What was the next stage in your journey from, from that point? You see, because we would sing a lot of bhajans at home, at the end of the bhajan, we would go into maunam, silence. This one word was given to everyone, eh? maunam, everyone would go to silence. And there was no instruction, nothing. The bhajans itself will begin to induce a, a natural quiescent in the mind. This I found in yoga. Mm. When we finish the practice towards the end, just like Shavasana, during Shavasana, after Shavasana, there was this deep quietness. Yes. That I realized, ah, I know this before. I felt this before. Mm. That made me a little curious. Um, yeah, and that made me look, there's something here in this quietness that feels like home, like me. And yes. I was looking for it in various directions. A friend of mine uh, presented me a, a book called Light on Yoga by B.K. Zayangar. And it was a black and white book. And I said, ah, that, there are more asanas in this. Yeah. <laughs> it's tradition you generally do. About 12 asanas, a little bit more, right? Yes. And then I saw this book. There were so many asanas and I got excited. Oh, there's more <laughs> things to do. <laughs> the, then I would, I would copy, imitate uh, these asanas. And it came to my body easily because I was, um, I was already a dancer at that time. Um, but I was also curious because there are certain way that he would give those leads or instructions. And I came to Rishikesh at that time, about in 2004. And I met my uh, first Iyengar yoga teacher. Her name is the late Karen O'Bannon. She's from Texas. <clears throat> I started practicing under her guidance. And then she connected me to her teacher was B.K. Zayengar. And I went to Pune for a very short while. I had practiced that. Yeah. So that was the next step. Nice. The next step. Nice. What was it like practicing with uh, Mr. Ayengar or Ayengar in Pune? Pune? Um, just to go back, because I came from an environment where there was Kirtan and Bhajan and meditation. It was a very soft environment. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm telling you good preface slowly, good preface yes <laughs> yeah it was a soft environment and uh, my parents were also fairly gentle people I when I went to that method of learning it seemed a little bit rigid for me a bit harsh if I can say personally just for me it was harsh the way that um the body mind was approached. Uh, I felt fear, a mm. lot of fear in me mm. um, that I, maybe this is the way for me to learn. 
until today i tell myself it was destined that i had to be there or be under certain iyengar yoga teachers as my mentor and in fact i became a certified iyengar yoga teacher thereafter wow um, there was a lot of fear it was predestined that i should go through that process yes. so i went through the process whether it was uh, it was a love hate relationship i may say yes and i survived i survived <laughs> <laughs> it gave me a lot of grammar <laughs> vocabulary what not to do or what to do yes yes i've i've only heard i don't know from personal experience but i've only heard that to become a certified ayengar teacher especially during the time period that you're speaking of that it was a fairly or very rigorous level of training oh it was extremely rigorous extremely it took um yeah. i think the first we would skip a level sometimes i think that year in the 2006 and 7 there was one or two levels that we skipped i can't really remember now the first two levels we would skip and we would go directly so we had to finish so much of grammar so many asanas need to be completed and we would take it in a in a, a color photo album and show it to guruji sitting in the library mm. and he would look at it wow and wow. he would give comments of certain asanas so you are not sure whether you will get the certification but prior to that you will require you will require to be, have trained under a mentor for at least 3 years wow. who is the teacher yes yes yeah so oh, um oh, i have so many questions for you parveen i'm so curious so in relation <laughs> to <laughs> in relation to the rigor because you 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 seem yes you were so very like right away you could say yes it was very demanding can you share a story of a time where you was it because like physically you were attempting to perform or practice a position that was beyond your capability that you felt the need to it, it sounds like with that level of uh, attention to precision at performance was it that you had to push so hard that it physically hurt or was it a rigor in relation to like you had mentioned that fear and and I and I I can relate to that one of of like going to class and being fearful of like what's what's going to happen when I go in there today uh, I'm curious if you could just share some stories or a story I'm so curious to hear see it is physical but does not mean that everything physical instill or, or instills fear or brings fear results to fear but the way that the the pedagogy the way that the asanas are applied or the instructions are given seems to suggest fear by certain personalities mm. not all iyengar yoga teachers are like that yeah. there are also yeah. very sweet and loving teachers like yes. my first teacher karen o'banan till now i i i i feel like most of my yoga is from her grace a lot from her grace itself mm-hmm. but certain teachers have absorbed a lot of aggrandization status um oriented kind of practice like uh, listen to me i know rather than something given to the student now you play with this and apply it in your body which is going through a process and see how you interact with it for me that becomes yoga mm. whereas um unfortunately if i can use this word 
unfortunately it is this this instructions are given to teachers who are not really matured as yet in their lives in terms of life experience then they implement these ideas directly on a student's body and forcing them to do something exactly in that particular way mm. so it is uh, swim or drown something like that am i making sense yes yes so there were various uh, scenarios in where a certain asanas were, were taught and i was always thinking am i not doing it or even if i'm doing it or not doing it maybe it is not time for my body to do to achieve this pose but i was insisted that i was to do it in this particular way and if if i did not do it in that way i was embarrassed Yeah. So I feel that is not a right environment. Yeah. But I'm not saying I should not say actually that all teachers are like that. Certain teachers that I had to approach due to my karma <laughs> 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 taught me in that manner. Yes. Uh, I think it is predestined for me to go through that process, which I don't wish anyone to go through that process of learning. I think learning can come from a place of love. I still remember the way my parents taught me, yes. uh, and sir, some of my gurus taught me with a lot of love, and they would wait for that seed to germinate. So you just have to wait. Yes. Well, that was a great explanation, Parveen. I love hearing that. That's so interesting. I I love how you started it with with uh, mentioning that the experience you had with your family and singing bhajans and or kirtan style was like, you know, very gentle. You know, like I had this initial introduction to yoga of this like the end of the kirtan then just silence and feeling yeah. like that that just amazing element of and also I love that you mentioned there was no instruction. There is something so fascinating about that where you you're just taken into silence and and then just processing in that moment that's really cool and then the juxtaposition of having a a strict and uh yeah sort of approach what after you received your certification i'm curious did you then begin teaching a yingar style yoga did you what what was your next step in that process i received my certification i started a yoga studio in uh, kuala lumpur and that lasted for at least about 10 years wow but something in me i must say again this silence you know that came from that that young age that maunam this child seemed to identify a lot with that silence it seemed like very vast and felt so good yes yes There, there was a lot in that silence so in through that years of teaching and anger yoga there was something in the back of my head that told me that this is not you mm. but i needed to go through that process and it had something to teach me life experience so in 2013 um i let go of my position as an anger yoga teacher wow I left I came to Rishikesh. Wow. In fact in 2008 I met um uh, a teacher um who had started giving me spiritual instructions 
and um, he started teaching me the depth of yoga sutras and as i was reading the as i was reading understanding contemplating on the sutras i started recognizing this experience i had as a child and that experience continues as i am doing my um yoga practice or pranayama or meditation this quietness that felt like home yes felt me yes and then i could recognize that and in 2013 around 12 13 i decided that this is it i am ending my this role <laughs> relationship that i have with this role it's time for me to move on i've come to the peak now i need to move uh, and it felt it felt that that was the right time and i arrived in rishikesh that's amazing parveen i i'm curious at that's a big deal because to put that much time effort energy to receive you know quote certificate and have the esteem that comes with that and uh to to say i think i'm going to let that go now and pursue my heart my my real you know what we really is speaking to me Um I'm at that I'm wondering if at that time was it something that you just you just did or did you need to write a letter like a formal announcement I'm letting this certificate go or um was that a was that seen as a big deal to your contemporaries or your your colleagues at the time your the other yoga practitioners within that lineage did they say what are you doing how could you do that yeah. you know we've all worked so hard for this are 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 what are you doing you know what was that was it a, yeah. was it challenging did you have a little bit of a challenge in that moment or was it very clear to you was it very easy what can you tell me a little bit about that it was i made the first announcement to myself actually <laughs> nice yeah that's a good way to say it. I like, yeah and i'm moving now how i'm going to do it i did not know yeah. because when i in rishikesh i was also living in a monastery in an ashram and what would i teach i would teach ayengar yoga only that's the only thing i knew so i was teaching that but as i was teaching this dancer background with that i had within me that creativity started coming so i didn't see the asanas as something static anymore mm. i saw a lot of dynamic softness variations within uh the static movement uh that i started improvising improvising and it felt good it felt like me it felt like it was yes. mine it yes. was me yes and uh that helped me move on further then finally i received i received a letter uh, an email from the ayengar yoga school that i should not be teaching other forms of yoga only ayengar yoga which i respect just yes. bad enough yes then i yes. bad enough i'm i'm letting go of this situation yes and that was it was a mutual agreement yes yeah, it was bad enough and sometimes people also because the years of practice that i have had people still uh, know me as an ayengar yoga teacher but that is fine for me you can know me as anything i know i'm not <laughs> i love that <laughs> yes yes i i really appreciate 
the way the way you're looking the way you see it that's really that's amazing did um and so everyone listening and we're watching here uh i really hope you'll check parveen on instagram and your handle there is inborn movement and i really enjoy watching the the i don't even know if i have the right terminology to say what it is you you are doing because I, I I see the I see dance, and I see yoga, and it seems like this uh, seamless place. This this like I can see how you are practicing exactly what you're talking about in relation to your love of dance, and also I am as I'm so happy to hear the backstory about your initial interaction with yoga in relation to the joy and softness that comes from singing. So can you, can you put into words or attempt to put into words what it is or how, how your practice is manifesting these days? When I learned yoga, this information was applied on a field, me. It was given to me. But when the information was given to me, the person who gave me that information did not check whether this field, this space, was, was it ready? Where was it to absorb that information? So various information, you know, many asanas, many yoga information, many texts, many pranayamas, many or pressing this person down. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to, yeah, good, good, okay. Where am I in this? Where am I in this? So I started mm. finding out, where am I? Before an information is given to me, where is I, this person? So therefore, I started first introducing in my classes the practice of arriving, centering. The vocabulary kept on changing for some years. And finally, I found a particular vocabulary. I'm, of course, generalizing. Generally, in yoga, they would say, relax this part, relax that part. So I started saying, why should I relax any part? Can I not accept myself as I am? Why am I not meeting my body as I am when I arrive on that mat? Can I not ask myself and my students, where are you? Can you meet your body as the body's weather is at that time? An acceptance of who and what you are, bodily, breathly, mindly. So this is the practice of centering I call now. Without making any kind of change, but rather absorb um, observing where the body is at that time the breath how is it breathing the mind how is it thinking what am i bringing with me this is the first step of the practice called embodied yoga yes and thereafter, we go into a, a gentle movement practice. It's very soft and gentle. But we start from the hips. We're going into 
the back line, the front line, the side line, the spiraling line, but in a very soft manner where physically you go 60% and let the remainder 40%, the breath to take you there. I think this is all probably coming from my, you can see that this is coming from my previous training because there you are not allowed to go to the breath body. You go directly to the physique. But I found out that the breath plays a very important role because then everything becomes very hard and tight. Yes. Any asana or any movement you're doing, do it only. If you can do it 100%, very good. But do it only 50%. Now let the breath take you another 50%. So I created something called the templates, a movement template, which would get the entire body to respond, to wake up, or to freshen up, or I'll call it also an inquiry, asking permission to enter the body. And thereafter, I go into various other asanas in a playful mode. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Great explanation. Yes. It is evolving. It's evolving. Yeah. And I must permit it to evolve. (laughs) I really, oh man, I really like, I like this philosophy. (laughs) It makes a lot of sense, Parveen. Hmm. And I, I love that, you know, you've, you've had so many years of practice. It's n- really neat to see that how you've let this evolve, like naturally, you know, it, so that's, that's really interesting. That's fascinating. <laughs> so, so you get to work with a lot of yoga students and and you do like teacher trainings, am I correct? You, you offer. Yes, and so with the, I, I like the idea that the, what you said about centering sounds amazing. And just like, as opposed to all of these different techniques and like you mentioned asanas and then different breathing techniques and then all these different texts and that it was like just being pressed down on top of you and being able to come to a place where you like you said meet yourself and be really you know just at peace to even start almost like and yeah. a reverse not a reverse approach but instead of like i'm going to be doing all these things so that eventually maybe i'll find some sort of peace i like that you're kind of just coming straight in and saying let's find the peace first let's find some sense of like awareness and then let's start moving do you find that when you hear students complain or talk about injury, that if you take the approach that you're taking, there's less potential for overdoing it? Because it sounds like you're really encouraging, like, go to 60%. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not encouraging you to try to show me some really advanced position you know, or, or something that's beyond your scope of practice um, what, what are you observing in relation to working with students and, and then the feedback that you're receiving from taking this approach? See, students, they want to go. They want to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because the way that the neo-format of yoga is presented, it is sitting 
together with exercise. Now, the Vedic tradition, yoga is given to us by the rishis, the sages. In the Vedic tradition, it is very clear that you are peace, you are complete. Nothing added to you or subtracted to you, removed away from you or added into you is going to bring any peace because you are already peace. Now the question can rise, if I am already peace or complete, why do I feel miserable? <laughs> the question comes, now what, who are you identifying as I? You're going to say, I am happy, I am unhappy, I am distressed, I am in love, I am in joy. I'm confused. The, who is this I? This is an acquired state of the mind, right? Whatever acquired, how can it be you? Mm. It is acquired Ooh, by the mind, right? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. When it is acquired by the mind, even the peace that is acquired by the mind, which is favorable for the yogic practice, that is also not you. Because it is acquired. It is induced by the practice of movement and breathing and concentration, mindful watchfulness. But again, this is not you, but it is favorable. So who you are, you are that witness, which is always there, the underlying canvas, which is supporting all the names, forms, colors, shapes. You are that. And that clarity, the rishis, the Vedic sages have already given now, why the students think that they have to do something to become someone? Because they are identifying that yoga is a physical practice. You can become whomever you want to become. That becoming, that personality you become again is an acquired personality. That is not you. So our philosophy is you are complete. You first have to understand what is complete about you. And then start the practice. But what has happened is in the neo format of yoga, we are doing the asanas first and then we are reading the manual. We're doing a upside down. <laughs> in the older days, I think I remember when we had a TV, when dad bought a TV, we had a manual. So we had to read a manual first, how to yeah. use the TV, right? <laughs> but <laughs> now it's same like in yoga. You're doing certain practices and you think that you have to become Virabhadrasana 3, you have to stand on one leg, you have to stand on your hand or whatever it is. But that is not the purpose of yoga. When you read the manual only, you will understand that the pur purpose of yoga is to develop the capacity to bring some amount of quiescent to your mind so that you can see what is your true potential, your natural potential. When we say natural, means not acquired. You understand? I do. Natural means I not acquired. That. What yes. is acquired is not you, isn't it? So the yes. capacity to develop some amount of quiescent in the mind so that you can see what is your true nature yes. or to unidentify yourself with what is not you. This is the purpose of yoga. Now you tell me where in this understanding is there perfection in lengthening or gaining some length in the hamstring or opening the shoulders or, or the problem is the hip. The problem is never your hip. The problem is not your shoulder, my friend. The, pros, the possible problem or challenge is in the intellect, the intelligence, thinking that this is me. Mm. 
So perfection in warrior one is not the purpose. Yes. Uh, yes. Not the purpose, actually. I see Now, that. Now, how do you interact with warrior one become spiritual? Not perfecting. How do you perfect something which is constantly going through modification? Isn't this body going through modification? Isn't it getting older? How can you perf perfect what? So this yes. interaction with the body, interaction with the breath, interaction with the mind becomes a spiritual practice. To know that this is not me, this is a, a phenomena. And I am that which is beyond. Yes. I I, I like it because the the challenge for me in hearing what you're saying is I feel like my sh the structure, this mm. idea of I will wake up at this time, show up at this time, go through this m sequence of movements and this order at this time in this way. And then, and, and I guess I'm almost trying to imagine that if I were to try to wake up and then come into a state of peace first and then wait to listen to see like, is this the time that I want to do some movement that resembles me moving through some movement, <laughs> like, like a yoga practice. And maybe I go, no, right now isn't the time or yes, I feel inspired to move right now. Okay. Well, how long do I do it? Let me set my time. How much time do I have? Do I, I have an hour. I have 90 minutes. Okay. Let me get started. But then maybe the way you're explaining, you could just do five or six minutes or it doesn't even, maybe the time isn't. So I guess that's my question. Where does time, how does time interact with this approach that you're talking about? Or how do you, how do you reconcile with time or do you, does that make sense? It is depending on the interest. Right. Yeah. If yeah. you're interested in coming back to yourself, okay, I'll give you. Uh, let's play a little bit, a okay. very vague understanding. Now, around two thirty at night, you're in deep sleep, not dream, but deep sleep, and you wake up at two thirty. Let's say your first class is at six o'clock. You wake up at two thirty. You check the time. Oh, it's two <laughs> thirty. You still have a few more hours of sleep. What do you do? Well, yeah, I, I normally I just lay there and, and go, oh, man, I, I hope I can fall back asleep. And I, <laughs> I hope I can fall back to sleep, isn't it? Yeah. Now tell me, what is there in sleep, in deep sleep? What, what is there in deep sleep? What, what is there in deep sleep? That's a great question. I mean, a sense of like, you can, I can just let go. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's like, I, it's the awareness and lack of awareness at the same time that, that is so comforting. As long as, so yeah. It's so relaxing. Yeah. So vast. And yet there is nothing there. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. There is nothing there. Do you know the body, the name Todd, where you're living, your yoga teacher, 
no. your requirements, your likes, dislikes, nothing. But what is that? This vastness of nothingness and you are comfortable. And notice at 2.30 when you wake up, why do you want to go back to a place where there is nothing? That means there is something. <laughs> yeah. What is there? You, your nature. Mm. And it is so peaceful without any identifications with this world called body, mind, world. Isn't it? Yes. In the same way, answering the question, how long should I practice? Practice to come back to yourself. That Virabhadrasana, Uttanasana, Sirisasana should not be done to perfect the asana, but it should be done to come back so that you can create that state of mind where there is no mind state. You were very peaceful in deep sleep. Now practice all these asanas and sit down and unidentify yourself with this world and notice that immense peace that you are. That is wow. the purpose. Wow. You are interested in that. Then you practice. Whoa, Parveen, that's that's a game changer right there. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? It comes from sleep. There is something in deep sleep, my friend. You keep pondering about this deep sleep. Mm. You will find your magnanimity. Wow. That you are everything. Do you have moments of practicing virabhadrasana that feels almost similar if not the same to deep sleep or even better or different it, not particularly not in any kind of asanas but while i am moving i find a sense of i am there mm. and then i'm very clear that there is a body doing this movement and there is a mind which is creating a sequence creatively because of my previous karmas or whatever it is my mind constantly is like an artistic mind it has so it is always thinking various various permutations how to create some some variations it's always thinking of this yes. but i know that this is not me wow. that clarity i have that comes uh when I am practicing, it is there. Or when I'm reading, I've enjoyed, I've started cooking a lot now, uh, the last two years because I live alone. So uh, there's this, uh, a lot of meditativeness when I'm cooking. Yeah. And it prolongs sometimes. Sometimes it gets interrupted. I get consumed by a thought. I think that I am this character. And at times it gets broken from that. <laughs> Mm. Nice, Parveen. Mm. When I'm curious, uh, I do you feel you made mention of the first part of, say, in the relationship to working with students, a centering, and then that you've created. I think you used the word templates. Templates, yeah. Are the do you feel the necessity for templates? Because if you say just say to practitioner that it shows up and they say, I'm interested in learning yoga. And, and you say, okay, come, let's, let's uh, start to do a practice together. Or let me show you a couple of moves. Do you feel that having templates 
is really critical to at least inspire some understanding of how to move or, or, uh, cause there's a lot to movement. Like when I watch, when I watch your movements, I can definitely tell that you have a dance background because yeah. of the, because of the fluidity and I mean, I can, I can see the yoga. I mean, I, that's why I really hope everybody listening really goes and so they can visually see to put, put everything you're saying into, into some sort of vision. But I understand what, what you're, what we were probably pointing at is, well, don't copy me though. You know, don't, this is about you going on your journey and figuring it out yourself. Right. And, and maybe your movements don't look anything like mine, maybe. And so in that element of to copy, to not copy, to find it within, do you find the necessity for a template to at least get the ball rolling? Mm. Um, Todd, the idea template has come because of my previous training. Can Uh, I say this? Yeah. In anger yoga tradition, we generally, at least with the mentors that I've been trained with, after the Patanjali invocation, we would directly go to either Uttanasana or downward facing dog, depending on the mood of the teacher and being cheeky. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I found that directly going into a, a downward dog or any kind of asana and then micromanaging the asana became such a traffic jam in the head (laughs) because my body is not fully awakened to its its own intelligence because I'm approaching the body from the mind Mm. whereas my approach is from the body to the mind Mm. I have felt that the body is more, uh, more intelligent than my mind and to connect both of them together I call this an embodied movement. So therefore, a template is given a progressive understanding of the relationship of the hip and the spine, spine with the shoulders, hip with the legs, and very gentle flexion and extension, side bends and spirals. Then again, like you have mentioned, not to copy me. The medium is movement. But what? how do we use this movement to arrive to who you are potentially at that day and to use that as a pathway to your peace. That makes sense. Very, very sensible. (laughs) Yeah. That's an, that's an exciting Parveen. I mean, I feel, um, this is perfect timing personally to hear about your journey and evolution because it's really inspiring. I feel like there's this idea when I first started practicing yoga, you know, that there's these, like you said, traffic jams of I'm doing this. I'm trying to accomplish this. I'm trying to achieve. I'm trying to strive toward maybe one day Samadhi, you know, enlightenment. And I feel like you're pointing straight directly at well, one, already Samadhi is here. And now let's just enjoy expressing it. You know, it's. That's it. That's all. Yeah. That's it. Samadhi is you. 
you are resolved. You are the ocean, not the wave. Mm-hmm. You're just appearing like a wave. But <laughs> yeah. when you see the wave, but when you see the wave, what do you see? You are actually seeing the ocean. You can call it the wave, but the wave has no separate existence other than the ocean. Mm. So it is like a play thought. Thought yeah. Yeah. play this yoga, play the pranayama. Yeah, play the Bring pranayama. The yeah. Lose the quiescence. Nothing is lost. Actually, mm. you are fine. Know that. Oh man, what a treat, Parveen. <laughs> You know, Federico spoke so highly of you. And so um, I see why. I understand why. Can you, I know, well, I, I, I can't wait to come visit you in Rishikesh. So I, I, I know that will happen. I'm excited. And, and you said you didn't want to spoil anything, but um, can you give me a little bit of a spoiler alert, like in relation to, what, when you wake up, do you walk down to the river? Do you, you know what, can you get, just give me a little, paint a little bit of a picture of what your surroundings are like, just in relation to what, what you feel when you're in Rishikesh? Well, it is like a seasons. In winter, the early mornings, people wake up a little late. Um, and the buzz of people waking up is not there in the morning. So I take a walk to the Ganga and sit by her grace. And there is this beautiful wind that blows in the Ganga in the early morning, which is very fresh and quiet. That has the capacity to induce some amount of quietness. That is because probably Somebody who is spiritually inclined and sees the river as a personality is going to connect to the Ganga because you will also have people who are just jogging and running by the Ganga who do not spiritually connect it to Ganga or the way that they're connecting to the Ganga is by running and jogging. I'm not saying that is only, I'm not saying that there's only one way of getting connected, but there is this beauty in the Ganga and she's emerald in color in, in the, in December, January, there's this beautiful green she has, this color. And there are certain spots where there's intense quietness, even though your mind wants to be very busy, I will take you to those spots. Where I believe that there are many yogis and rishis who have done their penance in the past. And also we believe that they are still there, that their vibration is still there. The presence of their vibration, their tapas, their practice is still there. That our previous mind or our inner instrument recognizes. Our mind may not recognize, but the inner self will recognize that quietness and then stay. Mm. Nice. That's yeah. a that's a nice picture. I like that. <laughs> and we can go further up into the Himalayas. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Oh man, Parveen, that's amazing. Very cool. Very cool. I, I, I just want to ask this question. I have to ask, uh, I mean, you gave me a great hint come in December, January. Um, Mm. would that be your hint or any time of the year? 
Is there, is there, I remember one time I went to, uh, I, I took my wife and my son and we went to Goa in the summer and it was monsoon season. And here in Florida, we have a lot of rain. And, you know, I looked at the rainfall charts and I, I saw, well, okay, well, they, I don't even remember the exact numbers, but it's like, you know, they get like 60 inches of rain in Goa. And I'm like, oh, well, we get like 60 inches of rain. Well, over an entire year here in Florida, they get that in like three months. <laughs> and it, and it just dumped. And when we got there, it looked like the way it looks like here in Florida, when there's a hurricane, everybody puts boards up on the windows and they bail and they go up North, right? They just get out of here. And so we, when we arrived in Goa, everyone's like, why are you here? You should be in Rishikesh right now. I mean, everybody here that lives in Goa, they went to Rishikesh for, for the summer. And so um, maybe that is another reason why you're saying winter is so great because not everybody is in Rishikesh. Like they, maybe they come in the summer. Can, what, 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 um, you know, would it matter what time of year I come or do you really love that period of time in terms of just the vibes are just so sweet? I would advise uh, you to come anytime from in the winter, like January, February, March okay. is a very nice time. Actually, it's very okay. pleasant, not too cold, yeah. neither warm. Even the first few weeks of April, the first week or second week, then it becomes very humid, hot, dry, hot. Um, this is the best time or September, October, November. In December, there is this bitter cold, very cold. And you don't get, you barely get sunshine. Mm. It's like four or five hours of sun you mm. get in a day. Mm. But to have a nice practice, a stroll by the Ganga. Wow. Uh, wow. A good time is September, October or um, January, February, March, uh, early April. This time is a monsoon is that it rains a lot mm. um, in any part. Most of the parts in India, it rains a lot. Yeah. 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 But nevertheless, if you get to go to the south of India, you have this uh, uh, various beautiful temples to visit in the south of India. Because yes. you teach yoga, you, you get to relate when you see the temples and the sculptures, you get inspired. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Parveen, at this point, do you have a guru? Do you see everyone as guru? Are you seeking anymore to, to find somebody? Or do you feel at this point contentment and just gratitude and not need for an, another personality to... show you something, teach you something, open some sort of door. Where, where are you these days in relation to the whole idea of guru? I should permit <clears throat> destiny to provide its narration so that I can play that role. If there is any quest in me, may it be a physical guru or a guru who is not in the form to lead me. But previously and even now, I am dedicated to the teaching of Shri Ramana Maharishi because I found a lot of similarity in the way I feel 
or my temperament. Can I say temperament? In the way I feel when I read his books or be in the presence of his samadhi or go to Tiruvannamalai, the Arunachala mountain, that has given me a lot of quietness, like as if in deep sleep, the satisfaction. Not a satisfaction of acquiring some object or relationship, but the satisfaction which reminds me of my true nature. But I am not going to stop. If there is a quest within me and a, a teacher needs to appear to teach me in any form the teacher can come to teach me, I am ready to learn. Thank if you. there is something to be learned by this mind. Thank you for answering that. That was great. Yes, I see that. Wow, Parveen, this has been such a really great treat. Thank you so much. I I really uh, I, I I look forward to uh, meeting you in person. And but um, thank you for accepting this this uh, invitation. And this has been a great opportunity for me. And I look forward to con continuing uh, communication with you. And uh, again, thank you so much. Thank you, Todd. Yeah. Thank you. My gratitude. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Native Yoga Toddcast is produced by myself. The theme music is dreamed up by Bryce Allen. If you like this show, let me know. If there's room for improvement, I want to hear that too. We are curious to know what you think and what you want more of what I can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts to info at Native Yoga Center. You can find us at nativeyogacenter.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends, rate it and review and join us next time. <laughs>